Well, if we've not met, my name is Charlie Salamone, the lead pastor here. For some time now, we've been doing a series on the Lord's Prayer, how Jesus taught us to pray with the hope that his reasons for wanting us to pray this way would be experienced by us. So let's put the first verse on the screen. We're actually looking at a different passage. We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer as recorded in the book of Matthew. Maybe you don't know this if you're new to all of this, but you have in the Bible, in the New Testament, you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four stories of Jesus' life told from different um, perspectives, so to speak. Um, And, uh, well, this is how it's recorded in the book of Luke. In Luke chapter 11, beginning verse 1, it goes like this. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. So you probably notice this is a little different than the version that we see, which is the more traditional uh, rendering that comes from the book of Matthew. And I think that is worth mentioning because, as I have been saying, when it comes to the Lord's Prayer, these are not magic words. Uh, Meaning, simply to say the words, simply to recite them, and sadly... For many people, that has been what the Lord's Prayer has been. Something you say, repeat after me, not really understanding what you're saying. Um, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I have no idea what hallowed means, but just go with it. Just say it. You know, that's been the experience of so many people. And that is not really worth anything. The fact that we have different accounts of this with different specific wording tells us that it's not the specific words that do anything It's the concepts behind them. However, however, the words are not magic, but there is power to be unleashed. Um, Leave the Lord's Prayer alone for just a moment. I want to show you another verse, but first I want to tell you, this is how I read the Bible. This is how I walk the Christian life with the realization that there is a floodgate that is waiting to be opened. Meaning, if we come to God and we're listening to what he has to say and we understand his desires, there is a floodgate of, well, I'm going to use this word, power and life that is to be experienced, that is to be unleashed Like a floodgate, you have this tremendous amount of water that is waiting to pour, waiting to flow. You just got to open the gate, and so it goes. I understand there's a floodgate to be opened. Now, read this passage. It's just one verse from, from the book of John. Chapter 16, verse 24, Jesus speaking. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive and your joy will be complete. So he's talking to his disciples. You guys, of course, have prayed for lots of things in your lives. But up until this point, you haven't really asked for anything in my name. 
Once more, that doesn't mean that there's some magic words you have to find or you just have to tack, well, in your name, Jesus, at the end of your, ser- your prayer, and then there you go. No, this isn't about magic words, but it is about heart attitudes, heart posture, coming to him in the way that he desires, wanting what he wants us to want. There is something to be unleashed. There is a floodgate to be found and a floodgate to be opened. And we know this because of what he is saying right here. Up until now, you haven't been asking in the way that I really need you to be asking. Not with the right magic words, but with the right heart. Up until now, you haven't been asking in that way. But, but if you do ask, you're going to receive and your joy will be complete. Other translations say your joy will be made full, which really means the same thing. And what that means is there's nothing lacking at all. There's no part of you that will be unsatisfied. The joy will be complete. The joy will be full. That's why I say there's a floodgate to be found, and it's to be found in prayer. So with that being said, let's just return for a moment back to that passage in Luke, the Lord's Prayer. Because what we see here is four, perhaps five requests. Um, Lord, uh, hallow your name, meaning show yourself. We, We walked through this one verse at a time, if you recall. Hallow your name means show yourself to myself, to my heart. Let me experience you. Show yourself, show your character. It means show yourself to this church, show yourself to the world. Let the world know that you are God. Hallow your name, show yourself. That's a desire. We've talked about it. It should be your first desire. That's a desire here. There's another desire. Let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. There's a city that awaits that will be here, a city of glory, where you reign as king and we all know you as king and this earth reflects your kingship in beauty, in perfection, in, in, in wonder, in health. Let it be. Let your kingdom come. That's a request, right? Hallow your name. Let your kingdom come. Those are two requests. We've talked about it. Um, give us our daily bread. Give us the nourishment that comes from you. Give us the faith in our hearts. We've talked about this. We're desperate for you. Give that to us. It's a request, right? That's three of them. Forgive us our sins. Forgive us. You know what that means. And lead us not into temptation. We talked about this. Protect us. So we got four or five requests here, yes? What if I told you this? What if I told you all these, all these requests that we've been talking about for these last months, what if they can be boiled down, concentrated into one single ask, into one heart's desire? Because you keep reading this, I'm going to tell you they can be. And so I read this and I understand this with the knowledge that there's a floodgate to be found. Thus far, you haven't asked for anything in my name, but, but find out what it means to ask in my name. And there will be fullness of joy waiting for you to be found. Waiting for us. Waiting for this city. 
the things that I think about, there's a floodgate to be found, and everything is going to change. I'm going to pray. Lord, teach us to ask in your name. Teach us Teach us to want the things you want us to want and to come before you with the heart that you're looking for, with the heart wanting to worship you and to know you in spirit and in truth. And Lord, let us ask and let us receive. Let our joy be full and let the world know. Uh, we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, in Luke 11... The reason that I went to this specific rendering of the Lord's Prayer today is because right after this, Jesus continues to talk to kind of bring this home. They asked him how to pray. He says, this is how you pray. But then he kept talking, and we're going to understand a little more about what's going on here. So when you get to verse 5, Luke 11, beginning of verse 5, it goes like this. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Okay, what's going on here? How is this driving home the Lord's Prayer? Pay attention. Jesus is telling this story, parable I suppose, a story a guy is going to, well, before that, a guy finds himself in a desperate situation. He's got some friends that came to visit. Put yourself back in um, ancient times. Every time a friend came to visit, it was unexpected because there was no phone call beforehand. Someone comes on a long journey. Hey, we got relatives. They came to visit. Who knew? Here they are. So you got a bunch of people coming to visit, and it's a, it's a, it's a really desperate situation because in ancient times in the Middle East, and this is still true, um, to be a good host was an enormous deal. To be a good host, your whole namesake rested on it. To be a good host meant everything. So I got people here, and I don't have any food to give them. This is a desperate situation. It starts out with a desperate situation, and I bring that to your attention because in this life, we ourselves are in a desperate situation. Some of, it know, some of us know this more than others. In God's goodness, there are times in our life that he shows us the desperation of our situation, and he does this for our good. Some of you because of life circumstances, have recently been made aware of the desperation of your situation. And I say this because there's good news for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. It was good that I was afflicted. God's power is made perfect in weakness. He has delivered us from all our afflictions. He has delivered us and he will deliver us. Many promises we have such as this. But for these promises to be realized and to be felt, we have to know we're in a desperate situation. 
We are desperate for him more than we know. And if you don't know you're desperate, you're in an even worse situation. But if your eyes have been opened to a spiritual condition that requires life, that requires forgiveness, that requires God, his spirit working in us, if your eyes have been opened to that, then you yourself, you're in a good place. God's at work opening your eyes to your need for him. So in the story, we have a desperate situation, and we should relate to that because all of us are in desperate situations, desperate for God working in our lives. And um, so in this situation, you got the person who's experiencing need. He goes to his friend's house, right? He goes to his friend's house. He knocks on the door. It's the middle of the night. I need some food. I need to borrow some food. At first, his friend says, sorry, I'm in bed. The person stays there apparently and says, I, I really need you to get out of bed. Please get out of bed. I really could use your help. Jesus says, eventually this guy is going to get up, but he's not going to get up out of friendship. He's going to get up. What does it say here? Because of your shameless audacity. Other translations say boldness, but shameless audacity is probably a better rendering. Because of your shameless audacity, eventually he's going to get up. Jesus is not saying this uh, to tell us, like, hey, God doesn't really care about you when he says, uh, you know, he's not going to get up out of friendship. We keep reading, and we see that's, that's not the true message at all. But there is something to be gathered. And, well, what's the point? Uh, you see it spelled out in verse 9. So I say to you, ask. This person got what he wanted. He got what he needed because he went and he asked. With boldness and, and shameless audacity, he asked. So Jesus says, so I say to you, ask. Ask and receive. Sounds simple, right? What's so hard about that? Is that really all it is? We have a floodgate waiting for us and all we have to do is ask? Yeah easy, right? In theory, it's easy, but there is a problem. There is something that makes this very difficult for us in our present condition. Shameless audacity. You know, you could take that word shame and you could connect it to the big, the big story of mankind, the big story of the Bible. We go back to this often because it's very helpful to really know our present situation and to understand it. Sin entered the world, Genesis chapter 3. Before sin, the man and the woman walked with God in fellowship, in, in life, in friendship. They knew him, he knew them. But then sin entered the world and everything changed. Once sin entered the world, the Lord God went for a walk as it says, I'm in the cool of the day, and the man and the woman who used to walk with him hid from him. They hid from him because they had a sense of shame, of guilt. So they were afraid of him. And before that, they actually covered themselves with, with fig leaves, trying to cover that shame. They had a sense of shame, and they couldn't they couldn't escape it. And so they hid. And so now, when Jesus says this person, he got what he wanted because he went with shameless audacity and he asked, 
There's something here about coming out of hiding, coming out of the shame, and coming to him. And because of our present condition, this is something that is very hard for us to do as sinners. Kind of a a simple way of perhaps thinking about this that doesn't fully grasp it, but I thought I'd tell you, you know that old stereotype that men um, won't ask for directions? (laughs) You know? We just don't want to ask for help. I can do this. I can do this on, on my own. There's something about asking for help that is humbling, isn't it? Kind of exposes weakness. It exposes something that we don't want exposed. It's a weak analogy because some of us have no problem asking for directions. But I'm trying to get to the heart of something more. So there was this one time. You read it in Mark 10, Luke 18, Matthew 18. Where Jesus says, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, if anyone wants to enter the kingdom of God, you have to turn. You have to, you have to turn. You have to do something different. You have to turn and become like a little child. You have to come to me like a little child. And when you think of little children, I was sitting right there. And a little one-year-old came up. Is he one? One-year-old came up. I was like, come here, man. Came, gave me a high five. There is an innocence that you see, right? They're not actually innocent, by the way. <laughs> I've got five of them, I assure you. <laughs> but there's a point where they haven't, really, they haven't really found that sense of shame yet. There's an innocence there where they'll just come up to you, right? They just come. And children have no problem asking for things. They come and they ask. And it's what they do. Luke 10, Matthew 10, Luke 18. You must enter as a king. If you want to enter the kingdom, you must do it as a child. And to really drive home that point, something happens right after that, that Matthew, Mark, and Luke record. Right after Jesus says, you must enter like a child, you must come to me like a child, you must turn, you must change the way you're doing this life thing, this religion thing. You must change, and you must come to me like a little child, come without shame, and ask. And right after that, someone comes to him. And it's one of those compare and contrast things because this fellow is coming not as a child. And you can learn what it means to come as a child by seeing how this other fellow arrives because he's coming as a grown-up, so to speak. He's not coming simply to ask. Um, He's known as the rich young ruler. And, well, he's got everything in life. He's rich. He's young, he still has his years ahead of him, and he's powerful. But with all of that, with all of that um, self-sufficiency in this world, he is aware of a looming problem that bothers him. 
something he hasn't quite been able to overcome, something that is looming over all of us. He knows that he's going to die someday. And so he comes to Jesus saying, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And right from the start, Jesus sees there's a problem with the way this fellow is coming to him. He's not coming just to ask. He's coming to buy. He's coming to purchase. What must I do to inherit eternal life? This is not a humble ask. This is what's the cost. Because in his delusion, he thinks he can afford to pay what it costs. He thinks he has what it takes. You know, in the garden, the man and the woman, they tried to cover their shame, their feeble attempt. What did they do? They sewed fig leaves. Is that any way to clothe yourself? No. It was a feeble attempt. They tried to clothe themselves. They realized they had shame. It's true. We all realize it. Maybe not a one-year-old. But the days go by, and there's a sense in which we understand. It's why it's so scary being exposed. Because you know on some level there's something wrong there. And so we try to cover it. And you know how we try to cover it in our feeble ways? With empty religion and displays of morality. That's how we try to cover it. And that's what this guy was trying to do. Tell me what, you, tell me what I got to do. What are the religious rules that I got to follow? You tell me, I'll do it. And so many people, this is how they do religion. And it just adds to this delusion of self-righteousness and sufficiency, thinking that you can show up in front of God as a good moral religious person and be accepted. And Jesus, in a roundabout way, says, you fail. You don't have what it takes. And he's trying to help him. He's not trying to hurt him. He's not trying to cut him down. He's trying to help him. He's trying to help him know you got to come as a child because you got nothing. So... If the call and the invitation and the need is for us to come to him without shame, with confidence, with boldness, as a child, how do we do it? I, I'm no longer one. I don't, have, I don't have the innocence in my eyes like a one-year-old has. How can I come before him with shameless audacity? How can I come before him, make a request without shame? Good news. Follow with me to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, beginning verse 19. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience 
and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let's talk a little bit about what's going on here. The most holy place, the holiest of holies. So back in the Old Testament, in the temple, you had the temple with these different sections, with these different walls. You had the outer court, and anyone could go in the outer court. Anyone who wanted to worship and know um, the God of Israel. And then, you know, you go past there, you had something called the gate of the court of women, where, where, where uh, women could go in that part. And then, then you had another wall, and it was the court of the Israelites, where only circumcised uh, Jews, uh, men, could go in that part. And by the way, this isn't about, like, men being better than women or anything like that. It's actually because in each step, you got closer <clears throat> in the flesh to the one this was made for. Um, so after the, 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 the court of the Israelites, you had the court of the priests, and only the priests could go into that section. And then um, within there, you had another really small place called the holiest of holies that was separated from the court of priests with a curtain Right? And in the holiest of holies, there was a box known as the Ark of the Covenant. And within the box, there was a number of things, including the holy commandments of God, the Ten Commandments, written by the finger of God, given to Moses. The commands of God were in there. And in the holiest of holies, above this box, there was carved two angels, and there God said, that's where my spirit's going to dwell. That's where I will be. I'm going to be behind that curtain with the holy commandments, and only once a year the high priest could enter there and make sacrifice for the people after making sacrifice for himself after a long cleansing ritual. Um, <laughs> what would have happened back then if you or I just kind of wandered into that holiest of holy spots? <laughs> um, it wouldn't have worked out too well. There were times in the history of Israel where people got a little too close to that box. They got a little too close to the ark without the proper covering. Uh, there was a time a guy named Uriah presumed to touch it. He died on the spot. Actually, there was this time some people in, I think, Beth Shemesh was the name of the city. Seventy people looked at it. They looked at the ark. Died on the spot. Dead. And there's a lesson there. In the ark, above the ark dwells the presence of God, and in the ark dwells the commands of God. Can you stand? Can you stand before the commands of God? That rich young ruler, he thought he could. No, you fail. Can you stand before the commands of God, the God of justice, the God who sees hearts, the God who loves what is good and hates what is evil? Can you stand before him? Beloved, we can't. Not without a covering. That's why Adam and Eve hid. They knew they couldn't stand before him. We have to hear this. We have to understand this. We can't cover ourselves. But the good news of the gospel 
And if you actually go back to Genesis chapter 3, mankind, they, they tried to cover themselves. That was a waste. But what did God do? He made coverings for them. Your coverings won't work. I'm going to make something for you. And what he did was he, he shed blood for the first time in all of creation. He shed blood. Genesis chapter 3. He shed blood to make some clothes to cover the shame of the sinners. And this, in Genesis chapter 3, was a foreshadow of the shedding of blood that took place on Mount Calvary when Jesus' blood was shed for sinners to make a way, to make a covering to cover our shame, to pay for it. This is what it says. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence sent to the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, our sins paid for, our sins atoned for, by a new living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Perhaps you've heard when Jesus died, the curtain separating the most holy place that said, sinners, don't come in here. It's dangerous. You can't come too close. When Jesus died, that curtain was torn, not from top to bottom. Mankind can't do this. It was torn from, from, or not from bottom to top. It was torn from top to bottom. God tore it, and he made a way. So, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter, what are we to do since we have this great high priest over the house of God, which is Jesus Verse 22, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Do you see how this plays out, the sense of guilt? What are we to do with it? The sense of shame? We look to Jesus who paid for it. And we see there's a way for sinners to enter with a clear conscience. Not because we've cleaned up our act and we finally stopped sinning. That is not where the clean conscience comes from. It comes from looking to him who lived a perfect life, who gave his life for us, for us to have. You know, when we do communion, we eat of his body. This idea of like we eat of him. He lives in us. It's him. So we can draw near. This, my friends, is the shameless audacity we must find. It's not enough to hear these. Hear these truths and nod your head. Very good, very good. No, you must go to him. Know him. Ask and receive. Come to him. Come to his presence. We have confidence, so draw near. Draw near. That's what faith does. There is a floodgate to be found. Let's return now to Luke chapter 11. Begin verse 10, it says, For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I just love how Jesus just slides us in there. You guys are evil, by the way. <laughs> Almost says it in passing. But this is good for us to hear. Because there is a way. When we acknowledge that, when we acknowledge sin, there is a way. When we stop hiding from it, hiding with our empty religion and our false sense of morality, when we stop that and we just look to him as Savior, he is a father who loves us. And then he says, he gives us more reason. Come to him. Come to him and know that he loves you. Know that he cares about you. 
You guys, you guys are evil, but you still, when your kid comes to you, you want to make them happy. How much more the father? Come to him as father. Come to him and ask. Come to him with the confidence that faith brings, the confidence that we have a savior that cleanses us. Ah, Job. Think about Job this week. Job, he said, though he slay me, though my life is hard right now and I know God is in control, though he slay me, I will trust in him. But I will argue my ways to his face and this will be my deliverance because the godless would not dare go to him. The godless would not dare approach him. Meaning those without faith, they wouldn't do it. Do you hear that confidence? Do you hear that shameless audacity? I'm going to argue my ways to his face. Whew. Go to him. By the blood of Jesus, argue your, his, argue your ways to his face. Tell him all of your troubles. Tell him all of your thoughts. Tell him what you need. It's a desperate situation. Ask him what you need. And so now, coming back to the Lord's Prayer for just a moment, I told you, there's a concentrated form of the Lord's Prayer, and Jesus gives it in all this. He tells the Lord's Prayer, and then he tells this story, and then he wraps it up with this. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That's his summary of it all. When you're praying the Lord's Prayer with proper understanding, what you're really asking for is the Holy Spirit. You're asking for God's Spirit to fill you. Show yourself. Hallow your name. Let your kingdom come. That was the great desire. And after Jesus rose from the dead, that's what his disciples said. Now is now the time. Is now the time that your kingdom's going to come. We're waiting. We're asking. And Jesus says, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons, but here's an answer to your question. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That desire for his kingdom to come, that desire for him to be made known to the world, here's how it's going to work. You're going to receive power and the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. That desire for his name to be hallowed, it's a desire for the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. Give us this day our daily bread. What do you think we're asking for? Spiritual nourishment that fills us. We're asking for the Holy Spirit. Forgiveness? Acts chapter 2, the first time the gospel was preached after Jesus rose from the dead. Repent, every one of you. Turn. Be baptized. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the promise, the Holy Spirit. Same desire to be forgiven. What you're asking for is the Holy Spirit. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Read the scriptures. Walk in the Spirit. And you will not fulfill the desires of the sinful nature. When you're asking him to guard you and help you with temptation, you're asking for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what we're asking for here. And perhaps I should add, there is one thing that stands a little bit between us and asking for this prayer. There's a ton of other things that we want in this life. There's a ton of other things to pray about. There's a ton of other things that I pray about and I ask for. But here Jesus is saying, make sure you're asking for this first. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. First ask for his spirit to fill you. Because otherwise, if you're not asking for that first, those other things you're asking for, it's idolatry. It's things you want more than God. 
Father God, fill us with your Holy Spirit. Give us your Holy Spirit, Lord. That's the desire of our hearts. Lord, we want to want what you want us to want. We want lots of things. We want to want what you want us to want. Work that in our hearts. Work in our hearts a desire for your Holy Spirit to fill us, to satisfy us, to give us the power that you spoke about. Lord, there is a floodgate to be found. You told us. You told us about joy that would be made full, complete joy. You told us about that. You said it would come by asking in your name. Lord, we're asking in your name. We're asking as children, not people who deserve anything, but we're asking based on your promises, based on your goodness, based on your sacrifice. We are drawing near, Lord. We've read about the pouring out of your spirit. Why not us? We who have tasted your goodness, we want more. We who have seen your name hallowed, it's not enough. We want more. Lord, let today be a special day and give us more of your spirit. Fill us, baptize us. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. So it's now time of a Q&A. We can invite uh, parents who have kids in a K to grade one and grade two, four uh, to pick your, your child. And we invite them to be a part of the rest of the service uh, so they can hear Q&A, but also be a part of the uh, wonderful worship that we have. So um, for Q&A, for those who have questions, uh, for those who are online, text your question, or if uh, you are in person, raise your hand, a, a mic will be brought to you. Um, yeah. So I have a question for you, uh, uh, Charlie. So my question is, um, so you can, you, you answer that already my question, but I think it's, it's most to summarize. So let's say I'm a youth, okay, I'm a teenager. So what, what I'm supposed to do, what is the link of the holy place that you mentioned in your sermon and me day to day at school or in activity? What I'm supposed to do with that? I would say as a youth, but you know, everyone, I think. Uh, so when Jesus said, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Um, the Holy Spirit is not simply a power that comes upon us, and, and he is. But the Holy Spirit is a person. So when we're saying, Lord, give us more of your Spirit, it's, Lord, give us yourself, your presence, the Spirit of God that dwelt over the ark between the cherubim, the very presence, the very Spirit of God, the, the Spirit of God who walked through the garden in the cool of the day. Lord, I, I need you. I want you. I want to know you. That's the holy place where his Spirit dwells. So here I am. I'm a youth. I'm in school. I'm surrounded by kids who have no idea who you are and who are living for things that are not life-giving. And here I am. I know the truth. And I need the ability to bear witness and make my life meaningful and significant. And I have my own temptations to just kind of go with the crowd. What am I to do? Lord, I need you. That's the holy place. Lord, I need you. I need your presence. I need you. 
I, I need to feel your presence, to know you're with me. I need you working through me. I'm not simply asking for power, although I am asking for power. I'm not simply asking for wisdom, though I'm asking for wisdom. But I'm asking for you, Lord. The, ho the holy place, you. Thank you. Um, a question online. Uh, all to witnesses to uh, all to witness and love a person who believes that they are a good person and how to tell them God loves them and send Jesus to cover and forgive their sins when they don't believe they have sinned. Wow. Uh, with lots of prayer and tactfulness and wisdom and guidance that comes from his Holy Spirit. What we're talking about here is evangelism and I've learned that if you try to do evangelism apart from like walking with the spirit and trust, it's just a great way to just find yourself in fruitless arguments. Um, but if you are dependent on him and you're saying, Lord, give me the words, give me the, the wisdom to know when to speak and when to be silent and when to ask questions and what questions to ask, it's really the same thing. The way that we do evangelism is just like that child who is in high school and needs God to help them. You're asking for his presence to lead you and to give you the power. And beloved, I, I've seen it before. I've seen it happen. I've seen um, the right question asked to the proud. And I've seen God's spirit convict them and show them their need for salvation. And it's... And it's wondrous, but it's something only his spirit can do. But his spirit can work through you to ask those questions and to say those things. But there is no magic words that I can give you other than go to him and let him work through you. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, is there a question in the room? No question. Okay. Um, so uh, another question. Thank you to encourage you. Took encouraging word, Pastor Charlie, left a prayer to, uh, to one what our God wants. A small question, Luke 11, uh, is kingdom come, uh, how does this tie to Jesus living in Luke 17, 21, verse 21? The kingdom of God is in you. Is Jesus still talking about a new city? Uh, great question. I think... Uh, I'm, I'm sure actually Chris McCooey talked about this, uh, I don't know how many weeks ago, you can probably find it on YouTube, but there's this concept exactly where they were asking like in, in Acts chapter 1, I mentioned it, they were like, is, now is the time going to come, is now when there's going to be you sitting on a physical throne here in this city with you as king, because the Old Testament hope is that the Messiah would reign as king and there would be peace on earth. And it would be this glorious kingdom. So is now the time that it's going to happen? And Jesus, his answer to them was kind of like a yes and no. He said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons. So it's kind of like in that sense, he's kind of saying, no, not yet. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. So in this way, he's saying yes. Now is the time. No, not yet. But yes, now is the time. And so what we mean by that is, um, the kingdom of God is here, alive in those who walk with him, where he is, our, he is my king. He is my king, and he is working out in my life. He is showing himself through power. He is healing diseases. He is working miracles. He is doing things that we know exist in his kingdom through his people. 
But there's another sense in which he's not yet here. I can't physically see Jesus, um, but there will be a time when he physically will be here. And so there's a lot we can talk about regarding that, but there's a concept of, is the kingdom of God upon us? Yes, but not yet. But yes, it is here, but it's not yet here. And, and that's just something you see in the Bible. Amen. Uh, couldn't we just summarize our prayer, our prayer with, let your will be done? Uh, sure. I mean, once more, it's not about like the magic words, but I, I think it, that is, that's a way that it could be summarized. When I say that the Lord's Prayer can be like boiled down to one concentrated ask, um, just to be clear, I'm not like trying to save time, <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to just be like, okay, well, this is a simple way to do it. I'm trying to get us to a place of understanding of what's really going on here, of what really God is wanting from us. But Sure, I mean, when you come to God with just a, a submission of just let your will be done, I think there is, there is something there that connects. Sure. Okay. Um, last question. Um, last question. Are believers seen as a righteous after the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross? Uh, yes. That's a, yes, we are covered. It, by faith, by faith, our shame is covered, just like God covered Adam and Eve in the garden. Like, we are covered. Our, our, our hearts are cleansed from a guilty conscience. And that's why it's so important to hear this and to know it and to own it. You know? It's kind of like the shameless audacity. When I, what I'm wanting is basically you got Christians who have the money. Okay? The money is Jesus. You have it. Now just, like, go. Go and buy now. <laughs> Like, you have Jesus, which means you can enter the holy place. You can enter his presence. Go and do it. Um, don't let the devil, who's, 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 who's always accusing us and telling us we're not worthy, or telling us, reminding us of our sins and making us try to feel shameful. No, by the blood of Jesus, go to God. Seek his spirit. Experience him. Walk with him. Ask and receive. Thank you.